Hey everybody, Saul Marquez here with the Outcomes Rocket. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the extraordinary Michael Dillon on the podcast. He is an entrepreneur and health tech strategy nerd. From Zurich to San Jose, open health data to EKG wearables, Michael has been a pioneer in the digital health revolution from its onset. His healthcare dream is for patients to become better consumers and drive improved outcomes. I'm excited to have him here on the podcast today. He's got so many unique perspectives to share and explore around healthcare consumerism and digital health. So Michael, thank you so much for joining. Hey, Saul. Thanks for inviting me on the program. Absolutely. So you have such a rich history of, of innovation. You've, you've led organizations. You're an entrepreneur. You always do things differently and not differently just to be different, <laughs> but different to add value. What is it that has inspired your work in, in this space? Right. So that's a fabulous question. And I love it that it's not a softball question because it is it is a tough question for me to answer. And it's probably a, it's a little orthogonal from the standard healthcare do good or soundbite. You know, my inspiration now, and it's grown, but it's really pretty, pretty well settled into consumer spending. You know, I think uh, up until recently, and I'd say generously, that's, you know, five to seven years ago, I, I started out in this space almost uh 12 years ago in, in, in the digital health space. But up until recently, you know, the U.S. healthcare was kind of one of those, uh, it was a disco era plaid sports jacket, 1980s business ecosystem. You know, you, you had the retail end of healthcare, which is the providers still mostly Brooks and Mortar, even now with, you know, a lot of great telehealth traction happened in the past 18 months. But, you know, Brooks and Mortar entities with very low margins. And then the other end or the middle part of the ecosystem, if you will, was manufacturers. That's the wonderful Medtronics of the world and the Strikers and the Zimmers and all of uh, the, the biotech companies now and, and in the future. And the thing about this is, is they were classic manufacturers, remain classic manufacturers, enormous R&D costs and, and pretty ridiculous marketing. And you, I think uh, one of the one of the funnier things for me is watching somebody, I, I lived in Switzerland for 15 years or so, watching somebody from Switzerland come to the United States and watch one of two types of television commercials. One is the personal injury lawyer commercial. Um, they're fascinated by that. And the other one is US specific direct to consumer pharma marketing. You know, what, what is this yeah. about, Michael? Just wait, <laughs> you'll see. <laughs> There's something coming out for the persons running through the field. It's something for, um, you know, IBD. And then, you know, the other, the, the final piece of the, the ecosystem, you know, that I think is really ripe for change as we move into this consumer-based system is the finance sector. And in healthcare parlance, that's the payers, right? right. You know, and very traditional finance, 1980s finance sector. You know, there's not a lot of pricing transparency. And I, I think I'm being generous there. And it's pretty generally distrusted by uh, the consumers. So I, I think it'll sound a little broad because I'm interested in a lot of pieces that help shape those three areas that I just went over, which is, you know, the manufacturing, the, the payer space, and then, you know, the retail end of things. But I think what we've seen over the last 10 years is where healthcare needs to go, right? I mean, you've got focused consumer education with 
commiserate spending, massive amounts of spending, and it's transformed all these core business areas. Commerce with Amazon, automobiles with Tesla, you know, entertainment with Netflix, finance, blockchain, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I guess in closing, I guess, you know, it's a long-winded answer to a great question. I think that, you know, sort of other than the prison system, maybe, <laughs> you know, healthcare is an oddity and that consumers are not the buyers. And even when they are the buyers, there's a, just a massive built-in switching cost to be put in that space. So I get inspired by, you know, scalable ways to leverage that power of both the data and the, the that pent-up consumer demand to change healthcare. Yeah. No, I love it. And I love your passion for it, Michael. I mean, you are certainly a student of the industry as much as, you know, some learning, learning always, right? <laughs> and you act on your learnings and therefore you you learn even more each time. Talk to us a little bit about how you and, you know, really the work that you do. And I say work because you wear a lot of hats. So, you, you know, feel free to take this and whatever angle you want to take it. You know, how are you adding value to the healthcare ecosystem with the work that you do? You're a smart guy, right? Let's just give Michael the floor, uh, but you're also brave. So um, <laughs> I, I, I do. I find myself, you know, for better or worse, simultaneously addressing multiple points on the healthcare value creation stack. And, you know, and, and it's kind of spanned everything, as you'd said, you know, from devices, EKG patches, ingestibles to data. I've been back and forth across that gamut uh, fairly extensively. But I think the consistent theme for me in that why and where is the business adding value to this to the healthcare ecosystem is, again, this what's becoming less and less and less of a blurry line around the consumer sentiment. One of my projects, if you will, I, I don't know, if it's really a startup, but project sounds a, a lot more academic that I've been working on for the last few years with a, a couple of other you know, cranky health tech pals is we really decided rather than come up with another piece of tech, let's focus on something where there's already an existing patient demand that's not being met. And, um, you know, this is this, I guess, just an example, I suppose, but the the breast cancer-related lymphedema, it's not exactly what you'd call a healthcare headliner disease. Breast cancer, obviously, for, for all the right reasons, receives a lot of marketing attention. But for folks that have been diagnosed with this terrible acute illness, there's also other things that may be in store for them. And one of them is lymphedema. There was a Mayo Clinic study back in 2013 that asked breast cancer survivors, you know, where about points in the care continuum that really, that were high anxiety. And there's obvious ones that are completely sensible, you know, around the surgery itself, the follow-up treatment. But what came out of this was lymphedema. 75% of those survivors had had high anxiety over this possible diagnosis. And, and why, right? I mean, we've got all this great technology. What you're, you're facing this, this terrible acute illness. What's, what is it about lymphedema that brings such anxiety, the insult to injury piece to this? And it was because clinicians had didn't have good answers. They still don't have good answers. I'm, you know, the, the patient said in the pre-surgical consult, what would I, what can I do to ward this off? And, and the answer is an answer they've been giving for a long time. And it involves a tape measure. And the best case, it involves something called a pitting test where you press on the skin. And so we, we thought, you know, we were looking at some technology to measure non-invasively uh, fluid variation. And, and we thought, let's 
let's not just sort of drive this this value uh, broadly, but let's look for very specific areas where there is patient demand. So we came up with something. It's uh, the, the company uh, is Spectral Flow. The name of our first pro- product, if you will, is called the Orb. And, uh, you know, we're not on video, but it's a, it's a small handheld device and it allows patients at home to look for early sign screening for lymphedema. And obviously we, we want to take it much farther up the value chain. But again, what is it that patients want? And we did a survey last year and, you know, we asked the crazy question of, would you pay for this out of pocket? And 60% of the patients we surveyed out of 150 lymphedema patients said they would pay for it out of pocket, like mind blowing. And then to add to that, uh, roughly a third of the participants were from the UK where it's a single pair system. So, you know, that's, I think that's one of the areas I, I hope to be able to essentially, you know, put my money and my time and my efforts where, where my concerns are, which is the patient piece of this. Another completely separate side of it is on the value creation side is that, that sector around manufacturing, mm-hmm. biotech and medtech, and the enormous cost around R&D. I'm very fortunate to be involved with a company in Cambridge, Elemental Machines, that is building a fabulous platform around, and it, it's, it's a new word, you know, everybody loves a, a buzzword, but it's around lab ops. And they're building a platform that they've got 200 plus customers, biotech customers, in a short period of time. But really what's interesting, and, it, and it's a friend of mine who's the founder, is just an amazing person, Sridhar Iyengar. But it's really not just about collecting the data that's happening in the, in the lab. It's then taking that data and allowing researchers to fit that into their workflows and really determine you know, how they can optimize their lab ops. Again, is that pent up customer demand? No, but it, it points back to something within the ecosystem that is preventing us for moving into a more consumer focused outcome. Yeah, well said. And, you know, around lymphedema, you know, uh, no cure. Uh, how did you pick that? Okay, so I, I used to tell this story and and one of my uh, co-founders told me, Mike, you have to stop saying the story. So Saul, <laughs> this is your exclusive. Here's All how right, we picked let's it. Hear it. I was in Scotland on a Scotch trip. Okay. <laughs> uh, of course, drinking responsibly. Uh, but just enjoying some of, of the, the nicer scotches. And I was with a few friends of mine who um, were clinicians. And one of them was this gentleman, Dr. Mangesh Oza, that's we're, we're very fortunate, part of our team at SpectroFlow, uh, who's a breast cancer surgeon. And we're, I'm talking to him about this technology and saying, you know, we, I think we've got a really novel technology for measuring extravascular fluid. But mind you, the places where we want to get involved are very complicated disease spaces. You know, CHF, COPD, urology. I mean, it's hard to build data, you know, reliable data sets in that space. And it's hard to understand, you know, where, where the going in is at. And he's the one, he, we'd had a couple of glasses of scotch and uh, all retired for the evening and came up, knocked on my door and he goes, man, I know what exactly where you, what you need to do with this thing. There's this disease called lymphedema that my patients asked me about. And he's been a breast cancer surgeon for 25 years. And he said, I feel completely helpless because I don't have a solid answer. That's how we got started. So for all those people that are thinking about starting a medical device company and you wonder how you find the right space, there's one version. Yeah. No, fascinating. Thanks for the story. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you gotta be open-minded and you gotta be open to the opportunities when they show up. So my understanding is lymphedema is one of those things that kind of happens for various reasons. It's either congenital or it kind of happens as a result of cancer treatments, right? Like, um, you know, maybe this guy was doing some chemotherapy that damages lymph nodes and you get lymphedema. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the body, the human body, and I'm obviously not a clinician. So I'm going to speak as a first person owner of the human body. It's so resilient. And in the course of, you know, an oncological procedure, you've got potential surgery, you've got chemotherapy. So, and then irradiation and it not always, and this is the, the insidious thing about it. And it really, there is some parallels here to some other you know, bits. It's the diseases that you're not sure how you get them and when you get them that are the most scary. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's lymphedema. It doesn't affect everybody, but when it affects you, usually by the time that at this point, you're able to determine that you have lymphedema, the vascular tissue has been damaged to the point that you might end up having to have therapy for the rest of your life. And therapy can be exercise, but it also can be a very telling compression garment that you must wear all the time. And, and that's maybe best case scenario because on, in the more advanced stages, there's a pneumatic device that patients need to wear. And you know, it's a, it can result in a poor quality of life, particularly if you're also battling another illness. Totally. Yeah, no, that, that's for sure. I appreciate your insights there. And so as you approach different, you know, different technologies and, and different businesses, Michael, how would you say what you do is, is different or better than what's available today? Yeah, I mean, for me, the important thing about all of this wonderful technology that's, you know, we've, I think that I saw something the other day, um, Hallie Teco's Rock Health, right when it started way back in the day, Everybody got excited when you know a billion dollars in total funding went towards this space. Digital health back then, now it's kind of subsegmented into other things. But now, you know, there's a billion dollars in funding in I think the last two weeks of March. So lots and lots of money going into this. And the important thing for me is the money, of course, goes towards technology of some kind. It's a product, it's a service, it's an approach. But the big differentiator needs to be, it has to move the needle. And this is a tough needle to move. It has to move the needle in terms of how the patients, how people that receive these technologies, their quality of life. How are we improving the outcomes? This is you know, a big theme of, of your show is, right. what are we really doing? Is it Sometimes I, I wonder, I'm old enough to remember life before an iPhone. And I, it's anecdotal, but I, I'm wondering, is the, is the iPhone making my life, truly making my life more efficient? And then on top of that, is it making it better? So I think that's what really needs to be. And it sounds a little white, you know, like I'm whitewashing the whole thing, but it does have to have some key indicator in people's lives. It does have to have this measure of, of use that people feel passionate about. I, you and I were talking before and, you know, it's unusual to hear somebody passionate about their spinal implant. Right. It's unusual to hear people passionate about their glucose monitoring device. I'm, I'm just, I could come up with dozens of them, yeah, but people long. get super passionate about using their iPhone. So I think that's where it really needs to move forward. And for me, that's why things like SpectroFlow and Elemental and 
other companies I'm working with is, you know, we don't, the technology is there and it's important and it's, it's a key bit of why this thing does what it does. But if it doesn't make a difference at the end of the day, when a person picks this up, be they a researcher, be they a patient, whatever it might be, and they don't finish their day and think, wow, my day's better because of that, then you miss the boat. Totally. Yeah. And that's a great perspective, right? Because as we look to make a better impact on, you know, whether it be a, an approach or, or a technology, you know, it's important that we take the consumer's perspective into account. I mean, for a long time, we have not. And, you know, we, we, we go through this again and again, but the reality is the consumer has become so important right now. If you're not thinking about what the consumer wants and how to focus on that, you're, you're totally missing the boat. And to Michael's point, you know, it's, it's important to keep that in mind. What type of, um, I don't know, frameworks or, you know, how do you typically look at it, Michael? Like, I'm, I'm curious what the questions you ask are around these things as it relates to the consumer experience. Well, I'm going to say something that's going to sound so obvious. I, I hope it doesn't sound pedantic, but no, no, we're learning here. We're all open. <laughs> we're all open-minded. We go out and ask patients. We go yeah. out and ask consumers. I review startup proposals back before COVID. I, I did accelerators, pitches, you know, all those sorts of things. And I'm, I'm constantly amazed, right, by the, the people that are generating these fabulous ideas around things that can, products and services that can improve healthcare. But I want to know, have you talked to a patient? How many have you talked to? Now, this isn't, this isn't clinical trials, right? It's just a go out and ask patients, be, you know, upfront. What, ask the tough, would you buy this? Not necessarily you have to, but would you buy it? I think that's a key sentiment indicator, right? Ask clinicians. I was part of a $100,000 marketing study. And, you know, one of the big takeaways was we asked clinicians and patients whether they would use a piece of technology that would, on the surface, make both of their lives better. And all of the respondents in this study, it was, a, it was an on-site study, said, yeah, absolutely. We think this is a great idea. Then we asked them, would you buy it? And they all said no, or looked at us, looked at the interviewers like they were crazy. <laughs> so there's the, the, we, this gets to that third pillar of, you know, the finance, 1980s finance structure around payers and so on and so forth. But I think my framework is ask the patients, ask the clinicians, ask the healthcare providers. In our case, a lot of what we think this device will be used is healthcare workers, nurses, occupational therapists. Um, we go out and ask them first. Yes, of course, validate the technology. Yes, of course, you know, don't miss all the quality fun, but that needs to come first. And I don't see it happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, if you ask that question and you get no, then it's definitely an opportunity for you to think about the approach and, and maybe the follow-up if the, if the, answers no would be would it need to do or what is it what would it need to be for you to buy it yeah and michael the other thing that comes to mind too is this thought that maybe people don't know that they would buy it like for instance if you hmm. were to, to yeah. have asked you know steve jobs about the iphone yeah you know how do you deal with that yeah so i think one of the things that i and you asked me about frameworks earlier and is leaning really heavily on fast moving consumer goods approach, you know, an honest to gosh, you know, branding approach to things mm -hmm. and honest, you know, building profiles, things along those lines. So when you ask people, and I'm an advisor for 
a company that does behavioral profiles that is eventually one, one day going to move into, I'm sure, mental health, but right now is, is focused on, on the marketing space. But yeah, if you ask people, gee, do you think you, you'd want a non-invasive device for monitoring early stage lymphedema? Number one, the only people that are going to really give you any sort of accurate response are the folks that have been through the process or know somebody that's been through the process. That's not the best, that's not the prime data set. What I think it would be great is for more med health tech companies. And, and I believe, I mean, I mean, I'm not talking in a vacuum. I mean, this is happening, right? I mean, very smart people think about this. But just for the whole, this is where we're going, is to say, it's great that we'll talk about the disease, but let's talk about where you want to be, where, where you always want to be in your life. It's how they sell vitamins. It's how they sell supplements. Nobody says, oh, well, let me tell you about how we make vitamin D and what it does, you know, from a physiological perspective to your body. Yeah. Somebody says, it's just like sunshine. And, you know, and I'm not suggesting we make devices like supplements, but but yeah. they know they're keying in on why people want to do what they do. And, and it's it's been like a verboten area of healthcare since day one, because it's it's deemed as non-sciencey. But I can tell you, I've worked with a lot of marketing people and they're very numbers driven and they're very quantitative. And I would love to see that sort of fast moving consumer good approach taken to to, you know, evolving technologies in, in healthcare. Yeah, man, that's so great, Michael. Thank you for that. So I've had a lot of different people on the podcast. One of them in particular, Kathleen Elmore, she's head of this company called Engages, but she, she was a VP of marketing for Procter and Gamble and a lot of consumer companies. And she is now helping, you know, payers and providers in the space, help patients take the right actions for their health. And to your point, yeah, you look at this stuff and you're like, what does buying Cheerios have to do with the science of my medical device? The reality is it's what works, right? I mean, it's it's these consumer strategies that help people take action for their own health. And you're right. I never thought about it that way. You know, it's like, yeah, this is a non-science. So why should we employ it? Right. There are a lot of smart people thinking about this. I mean, you know, folks like Christine Lemke over at Evidation, and it's a rapidly growing mindset. But obviously, I think as we move forward, the closer we get to getting patients excited about what we're up to, the better chance we have of, you know, what everybody wants to do. We want to revolutionize the healthcare system. Well, you know, if you want to start a revolution, you know, not to start quoting off uh, famous singers, but you need to get a lot of people involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And this is how it starts, right? Conversations like these. What would you say, Michael, has been one of your biggest setbacks um, that you've experienced? And and what was the key learning that came out of that? Yeah, I, I don't think you have time <laughs> on this or a dozen other podcasts to listen to me whine about my setbacks. But I had a lot of learnings when I first got involved in um, my first, I'll say, and I put my toe in the water as a serial tech entrepreneur in bioinformatics in 2009. And one of my big setbacks early on, and it still is one that I have to remind myself of, is there are a lot of incumbents in this space. And they employ a lot of people and they do good things. And you need to learn, you being me, <laughs> that it needs to work for everybody. It needs to work for all entities to move this forward. Yes, there's there's displacement. Yes, there's disruptors. Yes, I mean everything you can, you know, every every health tech 
accelerator uh, on the planet wants to, you know, this is these, these are their buzzwords. But really, the setback for me was not spending more time with the incumbents. Once I moved into the frame of mind and said, I need to understand, I mean, I obviously understand, I understood the enterprise tech world, but for some odd reason, I thought the enterprise health tech world was somehow different, and it's not. So once I really set my mind to saying, okay, what moves the needles with the folks and the entities that have huge footprints globally? And that covers the whole shooting match, the large insurance companies, the, the large healthcare providers, and the large health tech manufacturers. That helped me be a better entrepreneur. It helped me be a better strategy person. And I think, again, along with the idea of asking patients in a thoughtful, process-driven way about where the demand is, understanding strategic partners and how we're providing value to them. And I don't mean just exits. I mean getting into the market space because sometimes they're really great complementary opportunities. But, you know, I, it was funny. I, I didn't take a lesson I learned in the enterprise tech space. It took me a couple of go-rounds, but I, it was, I finally figured out that it really doesn't matter if it's a, how many billions of dollars of revenue that a company does, if you don't have the sales team on board for what you're up to, you're going to be stuck in innovation hell forever. And that's that was both a setback and a big learning for me. So on that front, the sales team for the type of business you're building, tell me a little bit more about that. So are you, are you saying your revenue today doesn't matter you need the sales machine and the sales people to build the company you're trying to build? Or tell me what more specifically what you mean by that. Yeah, what I mean by that is, and I'll be very specific, building a med device startup, you know, something that's got hardware and software, it's a heavy lift for all the reasons that you're keenly aware of. And I imagine your, your listeners are, but, you know, the regulatory piece, the H&R piece, the product piece, the patient piece of it. But then getting into the channels in order to properly the market access piece of this, what I'm getting at is I think that companies really need to focus on how are we going to provide value to this huge enterprise player? And it probably isn't going to be through incremental revenue. Um, It's going to be because you're differentiating that enterprise player in a way that's helping them pull through significant revenue share. And that happens when you do a large deal together and people in the sales team say, aha, I see that, you know, that that was successful and you copy yourself from there Hmm. going, you know, and I reserve the right to be completely wrong about this. And in in other areas where the incumbents do not have a large footprint. And when I'm saying that, I mean more of the behavioral patient side of the house, but where there are, where there are large footprints and large opportunities of, of clinicians and and establish relationships, that's where I think, you know, that's that's the revenue driver you early on. You have to go out, you sell together, you learn how I how what I do changes what you do, meaning the, the enterprise player. And that is usually a recipe for success. Yeah. No, thanks for clarifying, Michael. Yeah. Um, yeah, and totally, right? I mean, and a lot of these larger strategics have a very difficult time doing the innovation work. So if you could find a way to play and influence the lanes that they're they have a big footprint in you're you're putting together a business plan that's going to work in your favor for sure you know you work on a lot of cool things michael but out of all of them that you're working on 
or any particular topics that you're giving thought to, what are you most excited about today? So I'm generally excited that, and I've, I've said this before, but it really is exciting for me. I, it, it's generally exciting for me to see that the regulatory hurdles are lowering. It, they appear to be lowering. And what I mean by that is specifically around the FDA and the breakthrough programs. And we'll, we'll see where it goes, but it's very promising to hear that as an entrepreneur in the space and an investor in the space and a strategy person. You know, I, I, it's great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to see the reimbursement side softening up a bit. But I, I think what I'm most excited about is, and we haven't really touched on it much in this call, but I'm excited about seeing the innovation on the finance side. So we talked about, you know, the retail side of the house and how we can do remote patient monitoring. We talked about the manufacturing side of the house where we can optimize R&D and dramatically reduce the cost of R&D through optimizing it, the operations piece. But the really, what I, when you ask me, what am I most excited about today? Because it's the finance end of this thing, I'm excited to see these new payer models where transparency seems to be the default rather than the exception. Mm. Large payers, you know, Bruce Broussard over at Humana teaming up with Humetrics, uh, Bettina, and talking about how I, I certainly know how to underline a word, but, you know, it's consumer focused. That, if we get to the point where the finance end of this ecosystem starts softening up and becoming more consumer focused, everything else is going to really start to fall in line for us. Yeah, well said, Michael. It is definitely the place we need to be thinking about in healthcare. And so as we wrap today up, got to tell you, this has been fun. I really, really enjoyed our discussion. Tell us what you think people should be thinking about. And if they want to get in touch with you and uh, connect with you, what's the best place and way for them to do it? Sure. You know, I don't know. What what should people be thinking about? I think people should be considering at least the idea that consumer education is paramount. We need to sort of take off the the jargon gloves and begin talking to consumers in a way that, again, mirrors how other industries talk to their their consumers. Healthcare needs to be more friendly in that way. I'm not suggesting that healthcare is complicated. The human body's terribly complicated. So there are going to be some things where it's still a you know, six syllable word, and that's just the way it's described. But we, we need to work on, continue to work towards that. And uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, my email address, my first name, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at spectroflow, all one word, sounds like it is, dot com, S-P-E-C-T-R-O-F-L-O-W.com. Outstanding, Michael. Well, listen, uh, just uh, great to connect with you and uh, really appreciate you sharing these insights on what we should be thinking about around consumer health and and just consumerism in general. I do believe it's the future. I do appreciate the work that you do and and everything you've shared today. So really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks all. And it's, I mean, great podcast, great set of questions. Um, and, you know, I have to say not to, you know, be too gratuitous here, but it certainly helps that you're in the middle of it. You work for one of these companies that we that I was referring to. You understand it. This is this goes a long ways towards the education that consumers really sharp industry folks like yourself, Saul, who are, are willing to take the time and the effort to build a solid broadcast of what's out there. So thanks. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, no, thank you so much for saying that, Michael. Really, really appreciate that. 